0: With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After Nine on 93.1 CFIS FM.
1: Good morning and welcome to After Nine. I'm your host, Eric Allen. And uh, the panel today is James Steidel, Peter Ewart, and Herb Martin. Nothing new there, eh? Same old panel. <laughs> Same old panel, news stories. So today we have a number of different subjects we're going to discuss. The first one we're going to get into is the uh, forum at uh, UNBC tomorrow night at 6.30, is it, James? 6.30 p.m., yeah. 6.30 it's the, uh, PM. Canfor Theatre, of all places. And the Canfor Theatre, which I think is, what's the word, apropos? It's a pretty big word. I kind of keep away from big words. They get me <laughs> in trouble. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to talk about that. And uh, so we're going to go... What I'm going to do is have the different speakers or panelists talk on what the speakers are bringing to the table so you just get a sense of what this forum is all about. And I'm going to start off with Peter, and uh, he's speaking on, uh, is it James Parfait? Ben, ben Parfait. Ben Parfait, yeah, sorry. And he's from the... Yeah. Go ahead, Peter, you can talk about it anyway.
2: Yeah, well, Eric, um, Ben Parfit is a resource policy analyst with the BC Office of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, and he's been on that staff since uh, 2005. Prior to that, he worked as an investigative journalist with numerous magazines and as a reporter with the Vancouver Sun. He's the author and co-author of two books on forestry issues and devotes much of uh um, uh, his policy research on the topic of natural resources uh, with special attention paid to uh, forestry, energy, water, and climate change. Although he, li- he lives with his family on Vancouver Island, he has visited and done much research work in the central and northern interior. For example, he's been a guest speaker on forestry issues on a number of occasions up here, including the forestry, f- forestry forums organized in 2014 and 2017. These forums took place in Prince George, Fort St. James, Mackenzie, Quinell, and Williams Lake. Over the years, Ben has carried out extensive research on the current crisis state of forestry in the province and how to move the situation ahead in a positive way for workers, businesses, indigenous peoples, environmentalists, and communities as a whole. So it's going to be interesting to hear what what kind of fresh ideas and proposals he might have uh, or might be contributing to the conversation at the forum.
1: Good. I've read some of his articles in the Tidy, and uh, they're quite knowledgeable. So, uh, you know, people should make a real attempt to get to this forum, because we're not going to have too many opportunities to have input into what's going on in north-central BC these days, so... So now we'll switch over to James, and he's going to talk about Mike Morris and what he's bringing to the table.
3: Yep, and uh, and Jasmine Thomas, who's our, yeah. our, uh, our latest announcement, uh, we're really excited to have uh, speak at the panel uh, tomorrow. So just um, just on uh, on Peter's note there, there's a really good article actually from last week uh, in the Prince George Citizen that's been shared uh, over 100 times uh, by Ted Clark. It has an interview there with Ben Parf at Night Courage folks to Check out our local uh, newspaper, PG Citizen, and uh, check out that article because yeah, Ben talks about some really some really important things that he's going to get into more detail there tomorrow night. Uh, so Jasmine Thomas, she's a counselor at, uh, at Saikus First Nation, that's uh, west of town. Um, I haven't actually had a chance to talk to her. I meant to talk to her in a weekend, but um, I understand she has a new kid and a new baby, and uh, I didn't want to bug her. But uh, what I what I understand is she's going to be uh, chatting about. Um, you know, considering all all of the uh, all of the values in the forest. Actually, it's just similar to what Mike Morris is going to be bringing to the table. Uh, thinking about animals, plants, and the value that they have. for us. Um, you know how they how they've put us here. How they need to be reincorporated into how we look at the forests and uh, and how First Nations thinking and value systems and the decision making uh, that look at the whole picture needs to be brought into the brought onto the table. And um, yeah, like I said, a similar perspective will be provided by Mike Morris. Um, I asked him to give me a one-sentence quote there for uh, how to describe the event, and he said, Our future is harvesting a complete forest where the ecological balance is maintained uh, with all things harvested. So, you know, we're talking about foraging, we're talking about hunting, we're talking about trapping, uh, ranching. There's all sorts of other uses of the, of the land base that we're forgetting about here. It's not just about, um, you know, running these big super mills, uh, and replacing these mixed diverse forests with basically single species plantations that support almost nothing. Like I I don't really exaggerate when I say that if you walk through a 30 year old, uh, pine monoculture, uh, at this time of year, you're not going to find, uh, very many animal tracks if at all in those places. So, um, So, yeah, we've uh, got to think about all these values, and that's what Mike and uh, Jasmine are going to bring to the table tomorrow, and uh, I'm looking forward to this talk. I think it's much needed in in this uh, discussion.
1: Yeah, I agree with that 100%, the the overall use of the forest as opposed to (laughs) clear-cutting. I've never, ever been a fan of clear-cutting, but anyway, that's a different story. So we're going to go to Herb now and talk about a company he's familiar with, Freya Logging and uh go ahead here.
4: yeah so one of the presenters will be um um Liam Parfit uh he's no relation to Ben Parfit but uh actually both um <coughs> bring to the conference uh, some ideas on uh how to save perhaps these uh, jobs at the PG pulp mill so um they, they both have concrete proposals uh, uh Ben Parfit uh, believes that uh, we should be looking uh, w- far more closely at the a utilization of fiber by the pellet industry in this province. Um, the 14 mills uh, that um, are here, I think, produce a um, total of 300 jobs, um, whereas uh, we're looking at uh, one mill potentially losing 300 jobs here, just in Prince George. And, uh, you know, there, there's far more value added, uh, created through a pulp mill than uh, creating uh, pellets. Uh, it's, it's as simple as that. And uh, you know this is something that we should be uh, uh, really looking at carefully. And uh, we need uh, people to grasp the situation and put pressure on their pol- the, the politicians that represent them. Uh, anyway, that's that's another good you know good reason to come out. There's there's some potential solutions going to be offered, and uh, the public has to get a hold of this and uh, and uh, and really start pressure pressuring. Um, can for and um, uh, and politicians and the government to, to to work together to find some sort of solutions. Uh, Liam, I've I've introduced I've I've started interviewed before and um, a very interesting guy. One of the owners of uh, Freya Logging, which is a local logging company, <coughs> uh, they've sort of pioneered um, uh, in this area anyway. The um, the use of um, uh, lighter weight. Uh, uh, logging machinery to do secondary or, or, um, uh, selective logging. And, uh, he's done, uh, a lot of projects around town. Uh, most recently he's, uh, I think they're still actually working up at Paderni, uh, cleaning out the trails for, uh, basically fireproofing, the, that area. Uh, they've also worked at John Prince research forest, uh, up in Fort St. James, where they've done all sorts of trials and uh, found that they can actually increase to, uh, increase forest productivity uh by not using these the giant uh, harvesters and um, uh and skidders uh they've also uh they have the the machines they use have a lighter footprint there's so they don't compact the soil as much uh there's there's all sorts of benefits to it uh he um, when I talked to him in the previous interview he was uh, pretty thrilled about the whole the whole procedure uh, he said there's um, there's all sorts of uh, plantations out there that really need to be thinned uh, he he uh, will probably be talking about uh, the his experience in Sweden where uh, you know Sweden is uh, a country that has uh, two thirds the forest uh, area that we do, and they produce fifty percent more uh, fiber. So there's th- there's things to learn. He, he, he thinks that uh, we're about thirty years behind Sweden at the moment. Uh, I, th- I think that uh, there's with with some legislative or uh, 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 procedural uh, changes to the Ministry of Forests. Uh, uh, they could be uh, uh, doing some thinning, uh, commercial thinning of the uh, plantations, 30, 40-year-old plantations, and providing additional fiber for the pulp mill here. So, you know, this, this is something, these are new ideas. Uh, again, public has to start uh, listening, uh, understanding, and putting pressure on, on everyone to, to get together and to try and find a solution to, to, to keep the jobs here.
3: Let's not forget those. Uh, you know, there is more money for loggers doing it this way. There's more work when you do selective logging. It's uh, more labor intensive. Uh, you know, you're you're gonna you're gonna employ way more people doing it that way. Like these big these big machines. You know, they're they're clear cutting a hundred hectares with two guys in mm. in two weeks.
4: Oh, in one shift.
3: <laughs> Just, well, maybe not. One no, shift. it'll it'll take a couple weeks to do a hundred hectares. But I mean. Uh, and then, and and then, you know they're getting loaded on these big these big trucks we used to have five axle trucks now they're eight axles 7 8 some are nine axles Yeah you know and then, and and then, uh, like I mentioned in that sorry to cut sorry to hijack the uh the mic here uh Eric cut me off but um uh you know in the column I talked about uh, the the uh, sawmills you know like that's a whole other a whole other thing that we could talk about for a whole show I mean you the just rich? look at the, the sawmills you know like clear Lake uh sawmill that we shut down never lost money okay that place was always profitable always always made cash that uh, you had eight it only required eight logging truck loads a shift okay just think about that number eight trucks that's not a lot of that's not a lot of trucks and you see eight trucks go but go down uh, Central avenue uh, within fifteen minutes like there's just a steady stream of trucks out there on the highways. And uh, now you look at, they shut that place down, right? And they, they kept Polar running. What does Polar do? It does 10 times the production. So you've got 80, 80 logging truck loads. Like imagine how long of a line of trucks that is. And you've got half the workforce. Right? and these, Half the workforce. Yeah, these
4: giant mills, uh, not not especially um, productive or efficient. Uh, the the mill that uh, Canfor is going to shut down in Houston uh, believes it takes about one and a half uh, million cubic meters of wood a year. Uh, the mill they're proposing to uh, shift to is going to be about half that, or actually even less, maybe a third of that size. So uh, even the majors are realizing that these that the, the the largest sawmill in the world paradigm that they've been uh, you know you know talking about uh, for so long is it's just not efficient, and uh, you know that we have to start a, start looking at resizing mills and, uh, and 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 resizing our our logging as well.
1: I, well, I, we've got to look at, you know, I mean, it, we've got to kind of see the big picture. If we have uh, mills that aren't efficient with our left hand and Canfor is building a mill that is efficient, so what's the problem? He's doing what you want him to do. Just, you just said they're not efficient. They're making these mills efficient. There's just less mills and less people. Now, just a minute. I want to get this point out. When you're going up and down the street with the bus, you have one bus driver, 48 seats. You don't put in six bus drivers for forty-eight seats just to create employment, because you don't make any more money, and it's high expenses. So you shut the bus down. So we have to find balance with what we're doing in the forest industry.
3: Okay, I've got a, I've got a comeback for that one. Okay, so you've got okay, let's let's admit it. If this big super mill with uh you know these huge double double sided bandsaw blades that are chewing through like a twenty inch log in in uh, twenty seconds. Okay, let's admit that's efficient. But how do you keep that mill running? You've gotta you've gotta suck in logs from like the entire region. So basically the the, the efficiencies fall on the back of the public. Okay, so we've gotta maintain the highways where you've got trucks driving from Kluskus to the polar sawmill. Okay, a buddy of mine is hauling logs from there. That's a, they're doing one trip a day. Okay, that's an eight hours, eight hours of trucking to get one load of logs from way up the Blackwater River to Polar. Now, why aren't those logs going to Quesnel? Right? So you've got this real messed up tenure system, and the the beauty of it is the public pays for that, right? When you calculate your stumpage, uh, you mine it, you subtract the trucking costs off the stumpage. So the public pays for all that trucking. Okay, let's not, let's not forget about that. And the public pays for the road building, uh, the public pays for the planting, the public pays for the spraying okay so to keep this efficient mill running you've got to basically uh, maintain this incredible transportation infrastructure and and would it be more efficient to have smaller mills closer to the wood uh, well, when, you, when you when you make all those when you factor all that stuff in right and and my argument be yes it would be more efficient to have I know but we have to look we also have
1: to factor in the big picture if you're if you're going to get rid of uh, hauling those logs and you have to look at Does it also get rid of truck drivers? If you're going to get rid of exporting logs, does it get rid of fallers in the forest that are cutting down trees for export yeah sure I,
3: one impacts the other so you have to see the big picture you do and you and know? and i i think like the biggest picture is well who benefits from the efficiency right i mean and, and we see that with grocery stores we see that with telecoms we see it with banking i mean that's the argument that's the way the economy is going right it's like yeah. bigger is better that's the mantra we get walmart oh it's cheaper at walmart but what happens when there's only one walmart in town and all your independent grocers are gone <coughs> All of a sudden, you don't have competition. So all of a sudden, and that's kind of what we're seeing right now with our food prices, all of a sudden the prices on everything go up, and nobody can do anything about it because there's no more competition. So but, the, the but, efficiency, but, but again, there's still, again, there's, hey, there's still that efficiency there. Again, right? again but, but you're blaming
1: it all on, on, the, on the Walmarts or whatever, well, and not on the people that shop there. If you go there and shop there, you're cutting your own throat. You don't have to be a genius to figure that out. Well, I
3: don't think, I think it, I think it falls on the government to do antitrust no, legislation. And the, government, That's the more government,
1: in business, the worse the business You is. gotta,
3: you gotta have antitrust regulations,
1: you gotta stand up for the competition. We've got them, but, but nobody, we have our prudency brought in by the government. We're gonna go to a break now. <laughs>
2: Tune in to Modern Jazz Today,
4: a weekly show
0: that focuses on today's jazz improvisers and creators, cutting their teeth
1: and cutting the edge of sound. Join us as we explore
0: what's new,
2: what's groundbreaking,
0: and where it's happening, right here and only here on Modern Jazz Today.
5: Monday nights at 7 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader
1: Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Senior's Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available on most items, including pierogies and sausages, and there are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and Meat Pies. Everything from Erladen to patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Centre.
0: Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467 and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, two five zero six one seven seven four six seven, or check out our website, PivotLeader.com. At PivotLeader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business.
6: Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today, a high of minus 3. Tonight, partly cloudy, wind up to 15K, a low of minus 12. For Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud with a 30% chance of flurries in the morning and early afternoon, and a high of minus 5.
0: This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Okay, we're back, and uh, Herb's going to have a few words on what we were discussing. Then we're going to switch over to James. He's going to give us a quick overview, and then we'll go to a new subject. Go ahead, Herb.
4: Yeah, I just, just want to basically reiterate the fact that uh, forests have basically been thought of as, as as an afterthought, really. just It was a given that, that there was a lot of trees there. Uh, that people could pretty much high grade, um, and, um, uh, and do whatever it took to get the trees in as, uh, cheaply as possible. And, uh, we'd be fine. Well, it hasn't turned out that way. And, uh, now we gotta look around for some other solutions. And one of them seems to be that, uh, look, we've, got, we're gonna to have to treat the forest as, uh, a, a multifaceted, uh, uh, resource that we can't just look at the logs in there we have to look at uh, wildlife we have to look at all sorts of other values that are there uh, and we have to be able to take advantage of it as well and um and that's where this uh, uh traditional uh large scale logging uh, approach has has really failed us so you know that's 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 going to be a theme for, from all the speakers i think there um uh, Secondly, I, I guess I'd, I'd like to get onto the. I hope someone brings up the fact I had a really interesting conversation with Joan Atkins uh, Joan Atkinson, the mayor of uh, McKenzie, and she's told she told me that um, uh, Conifex and uh, what is it, Upper Upper or East Fraser uh, Mills up there have, have had to shut down because they can't get uh, rail cars in from BC Rail, uh, sorry from CN Rail and um and she uh, has heard and i I can't confirm this but uh, the Taylor mill is gonna probably shut down because they can't get uh, cars from uh, CN rail either so you know maybe the, at some point we're we'll gonna have to start talking about uh getting BC rail back on on track and uh having the uh hopefully having the government uh, uh working its courage up so that it can approach that that uh real can of worms and um, uh, and 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 look to the future, because uh, one thing that we're going to have to do is uh, probably get uh, wood from farther and farther away uh, to uh, keep some of these mills going. And uh, trucking is not always the answer. And in fact, it isn't the answer, because you can only uh, truck it so far, uh, you can't have negative stumpage. Uh, so, uh, at a certain point, uh, with even nine or ten axle trucks, you're 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 still can't uh, you know bring the wood far enough to uh, to make it uh, efficient. Uh, she also told me that uh, their fiber is not the um, uh, well. There's no shortage of fiber in Mackenzie. That in the last ten years, they n- never actually cut their annual allowable cut. That the uh, Ministry of Forest has retired 14 million cubic meters because no one wanted it, uh, these are hopefully part become part of the discussion that we, we start having.
2: Okay, just before we go to James, Peter's going to say a word. Uh, yeah, no, looking at the situation, uh, you know, it's quite a complex situation. You know, in, in my opinion, you know, like, uh, it's not a question of going back to 19th century competitive capitalism. Uh, like that era has gone by, right? We have to deal with the the current situation, the current technology uh, and uh, efficiencies, and and so on. And I think what's what's important there is to to, to fig- what we have to figure out in the province. There is is how to have both have small scale production at the same time, and making sure that uh, you know, for example, like uh, Prince George pulp, you know, mills like that <coughs> are able to continue as well. So it's not a not a simple or easy easy question. But I think one of the most important things is is that uh, we need more involvement from communities in terms of the decision making in terms of what happens uh, with the, the forests in their in their region and I think that's a, a critical point in all this in terms of uh, uh, arriving at all at uh, solutions that uh, people are willing to accept.
1: okay, we're going to talk a lot more on this subject uh, and the BC rail maybe a later program or something uh, because there are some. Interesting aspects of it, not the least of which is, you start subsidizing trains and trucks, then the next thing you got an export tax on your lumber, and you're not competitive. So it's not as simple as it seems on the on the surface. Go ahead, James.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to touch on the the uh, format for, for tomorrow. There, Alan here wants to. Uh, he's been bugging us from the side here on the board. Uh, get with its title. Come on, explain explain the format. Uh, so we're we're gonna have uh, like like Herb said, we're gonna have uh, the speakers. We got Ben, Mike. Uh, Jasmine Thomas and Liam Parfit they're going to they're going to have about uh, 15 minutes each Um, and then we're going to have a panel discussion so we're going to have members of the public are going to be given the microphone and they can grill these guys that it, I wouldn't encourage grilling. We should have some productive questions, and we'll have some productive answers as a result of that. And we hope to finish this up uh, within probably, uh, you know, two and a half hours at the most, 6.30, so hopefully by 9 p.m. But I'm sure some diehards want to stick around, and may, maybe we keep it going until uh, 9.30, which I know is, is pushing it. But uh, uh, that'll be the format for this one. And, you know, there's a lot of issues that I think we want to talk about going forward so i think we're gonna to have to organize another one of these so i think maybe we try to do uh, a bi-monthly event or something or once every four um once every four months or something i just interject what's your, that uh, see what's that see can't open by mayor you oh yeah oh yeah sorry critical critical information here we've got some introductory comments by uh, mayor simon you is going to introduce the event as well as chuck leblanc who is the ppwc president of the affected uh, pulp mill workers
4: yeah just just to add canfor theater has got 360 seats so there's lots of space available and uh great to fill it
3: yeah we got to get we got to get people out so whoever's listening to this please come out and get your friends and family to come out as well
1: okay We're going to go for a break now, and we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, why aren't teenagers driving anymore.
5: The UNBC Arts Club has issued a call for artists to take part in the first ever laid-back art show. Scheduled for April 10th to May 10th, this art show is for anyone and everyone who dabbles in visual arts. It's for the daytime doodlers, the part-time painters, and the Sunday ceramicists to squash art snobbery and celebrate the beauty of imperfection. Email your intent to participate or any questions to arts.club at unbc.ca by March 25th and be a part of the Laid Back Art Show. Copar Administration is celebrating 25
6: years of providing quality employment services to communities in BC and Alberta. Whether you are looking for a job or looking to hire, the key is finding the right fit. The friendly team at Copar can help with hiring events, resume, cover letter and interview assistance, wage subsidies, training, new hire supports and more. The best part is all of Copar's employment services are free. Find the right fit today. Contact Copar Administration at coparadmin.ca. People for jobs, jobs for people.
4: Does Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery offer baking for diabetics?
6: Yes. Cheesecake. Carrot cake, blueberry pie, brownies, and more. The cheesecake and carrot cake each have four net carbs per slice. Blueberry pie has five, and the brownie has just three net carbs.
3: Do these specialty baked goods taste good?
4: People love them. What else would you like to say to our diabetic listeners?
6: Come to Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery next to Pharmasave on 7th at Quebec.
4: Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader. We'll help you grow train and sell your business
0: you're listening to after nine on prince george's community station 93.1 cfis fm
4: okay
1: we're back and uh, we're going to talk about uh, there's an article in uh, well i got it off yahoo news i don't know where it is around town but uh, on the washington post i guess and the question is why aren't teenagers driving anymore and uh, turns out that this is a me, I just shake my head, I don't understand it, but uh, a lot of teenagers are in a hurry to get their driver's license and, and get out there and drive, uh, and there's a number of different reasons for it we're going to get into, but the one that kind of got my attention was the kind of, uh, this mother was saying that uh, she was doing a driving and and her son was playing with his computer and gaming, and of course if he had to drive, then he couldn't game, so anyway, she put a stop to that, so... We'll go to uh, Peter and maybe get a few comments on. No, let's do James first and then Peter.
3: Well, my theory is, uh, you know, they're they're they don't know how to change a tire. So if um, you know, if they get a flat tire out on the highway, they're they're scared of having to get their hands dirty to, to change the tire. I think it's that. I think maybe it's something like that, you know. Or uh, well I think there's a number of factors. Seriously, there's you know, vehicles are getting more expensive. You know, when you're a kid, you could you could buy an old junker. For a few hundred bucks, it was a fairly reliable, and I don't, I don't think we necessarily have those, those old, older, cheaper cars on the road. I think a lot of these newer cars, they, they, they're, you know, it's expensive to buy a car. The used market, the used car market, is through the roof. So, you know, kids aren't able to get a, a beater anymore. Uh, there might be some cultural stuff like you say with uh, people spending too much time inside. I, I can see that. You know, I think, I think society, culture, I think we're getting really insular and inward looking. We're not we're not out there investigating nature investigating the world we're interested in investigating uh, video games and and our instagram accounts and yeah i think i think it's uh if that's true that kids aren't driving anymore then yeah i think it's probably kind of sad yeah, there's a lot less driving a lot less applying
1: for their driver's license they don't even try to get their driver's license and uh, this mother's uh one of her concerns was and and you know just think about it for a sec. She's cooking supper or something and she needs some tomatoes, she can't say to her son, you know, jump in the car and go get me some tomatoes because he doesn't have a driver's license. So she's got to put everything on a hold and go and get them herself or go without. And and so there's an abdication of responsibility there. By not having the ability to do something, you force somebody else to do it and then you carry on with your gaming or whatever the situation might be. A lot of it's a the responsibility. They, they don't want the responsibility of driving They're afraid of heavy traffic, that type of thing. And I understand it. But if we all thought that way, we'd be back in the horse and
3: buggy. Well, I I think... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Peter.
2: Go ahead. Uh, Well, yeah, like the... I, I guess what the response from some young people would be is that they know how to uh, navigate, you know, the digital world in a big way, right? Like many times when we got a problem with a computer, right? The, who do we go to, you know, the younger person, right, who's uh, up on the latest things there. So they're, they're navigating that world, right? Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the technologies had, you know, the definite impact on this, right? You know, of, of course, yes, there, there is the gaming issue, but it's also just the connection issue, the fact that you can, uh, you know, call, call in someone's uh, image by Zoom, right, and... Uh, Rather than meeting them in person, right? So it's a it's a it's a different world and different priorities change. You know, it's sort of like uh, I was thinking. You know, like the other day there, you know, Prince George used to have uh, uh, how many thirteen or fourteen different uh, bars, you know, beers, or you know, where you went to drink beer and all this, right? But uh, the, the generation today does not seem to go that route, right? They have a, they seem to be more go to restaurants and uh, and hang out that way and whatever. So. We, we see sh- shifts and changes, and I think that there's a there's a whole number of reasons for that, including the, the technology and cultural th- issues and, and, and so on. But, um, uh, yeah, at the same time, I think uh, that, uh, uh, anyway, as time goes on, society itself changes and uh, we'll adjust to it. Uh Herb, did you want to jump in, or
4: uh, yeah, just uh, I think just to reiterate what Peter is saying, I think culture <clears throat> probably explains a lot. Back in World War One, World War Two, uh, a lot of young lads would uh, jump at the chance to go off to fight war, uh, just to get away from the farm, uh, go and see the world and explore. I think uh, kids these days uh, do a lot of exploring over the internet. Uh, so when Russia was looking for people to go fight in Ukraine. Um, uh, they had a million people uh, leave the country, so you know no one's jumping at the chance to fight in wars, and no one's jumping at the chance of driving a car. It's um, and you know, given the things that, that kids are exposed to on the on the internet, uh, road rage and um, uh, well, accidents and, and all the all the gory details. Uh, who can blame them?
1: Well, you know, uh, and that's all well a good, and we have all sorts of other things to think about, but. If, If you're living in the hard highway and you're working downtown, uh, with the bus service we have, you better be a pretty good walker because there's no other way you're going to get to work unless somebody else takes you, like a babysitter or something. So, James, do you want to say something?
3: Well, yeah, I think, I think the, the elephant in the room here is, uh, urban design, urban planning, how the cities have been growing the last, uh, the last 50, 60 years. Uh, where, where do kids go? Like when they, if they have a car, like where are they going to, you know, do they go to the bowling alley? We don't really have those anymore. I mean, Prince George is kind of an exception, but if you're, if you're a kid in, you know, a place like Langley or, or Surrey, I mean, you go to like a McDonald's or, uh, we don't have these third places, is what, I, is what I'm trying to get at. These, these places that aren't home, that aren't work, where you can go and hang out with your friends and have a good time. We, though, statistically, and, and, you know, they've done surveys on this, these, these places have declined. Uh, there's not really a lot of good hangout spots for the younger generations these days so what's the point of getting a car you got to go and drive through all the sprawling kind of ugly urban development uh big freeways getting stuck in traffic like we're, we're not developing like communities anymore we're developing these insular disconnected urban environments where uh people i think people are kind of zoning out on this and then uh basically tuning out from that from that uh from living in these places in a way you know and you you go back a hundred years you had walkable downtowns you could go and and uh, meet up with hang out in a cafe on a busy street and see all sorts of people i mean we like i say we still have that to some extent in smaller towns but when you get into some of these big suburbs especially down in the states like it's they're pretty bleak places if i invite people to go and drive around phoenix arizona for example it's uh it's not a good time no, no,
1: I, you know, and I understand that in the bigger cities or something, but uh, irregardless of that, uh, you know, they've got another 40, 50 years to live, and they better have a good plan how they're going to do it if they're not driving because uh, it's not going to be easy. And this idea, like I was talking to somebody the other day, they got one of their boys still living at home at age 33, and somebody had to get the, the law to try to get somebody out of the house at age 37, and those are just... The tips of the iceberg. Uh, there's a responsibility thing there, and and parents have responsibilities. They use the internet and t- television as babysitters for years, and so they're complicit in creating the problem. Uh, when we were younger, you know, if we wanted to play a game of ball, we got a bunch of people together and went and played ball. It wasn't complicated. one was a hockey game, we we cleaned off the uh, local pond and we played hockey and built a bonfire to keep warm. Want to go fishing? Went down to the river, went fishing, took our own fishing rods, made our own out of the bush, whatever. Uh, if you give kids or teenagers or whatever the uh, ability to go out and do things, they'll do it. They're creative, and they yeah. get, especially younger kids. So we make excuses for it. Who who organized organized hockey? Who organizes all these sports and that? It's a school and... Uh, and society, oh yeah, no, come with me, and and, and so we babysit them until the age of 21 or 22. People are driving their kids all the way in the wintertime to Revelstoke for crying out loud to play hockey. I just shake my head. And it costs you $3,000 a year just to buy the equipment. So it's a bad situation. Go ahead, James.
3: Well, yeah, I think, I think part of it, uh, you know, we're getting away from the driving thing here, but uh, it's like you gotta have credentials for everything. You know, like before you go fishing, you know you got to take people think have it in their minds they've got to take all these courses and they got to join some clubs and they got to you know they got to learn what they're doing there's this uh you know exploration and self-learning it's kind of it's a value that we've kind of lost i think as a society we feel like um everything's got to be uh you know uh, we've got to have some kind of chaperone or we've we've got to have some kind of management of how we enjoy our recreational time you know you can't just go and play hockey with some buddies it's got to be you know a big orchestrated uh recreational hockey league that's got to do it and then there's fees and all and you know just bureaucracy
1: yep and uh, we i guess we're going to get ready to go for a break here so we'll uh, finish this off and come back and then we'll go to another subject
5: If you are a low-income renter, you may be eligible for a one-time tax-free benefit of $500 administered by the Canada Revenue Agency. Applications are available online through March 31st. To qualify, the rent you paid in 2022 must be more than 30% of your 2021 income. To apply, search for one-time top-up to Canada housing benefit at canada.ca. Seniors needing assistance in applying can call the Seniors Resource Centre at 250-564-5888. Alzheimer's Society of BC's online education offers small group information
6: workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussion. Learn practical strategies to better understand changes in behaviour to respond in supportive ways on Thursday, March 23rd. Registration and more information on this Focus on Behavior presentation is available by calling the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. Understanding Behavior Changes, Thursday, March 23rd from 6 to 7.30
5: through alzbc.org. The Prince George Elks will be hosting a country dance Saturday, March 25th from 730 to 11 at the Elks Community Hall located at 663 Douglas Street. Admission will be $15 at the door and will include a small lunch and refreshments to be served by the Ladies Royal Purple. A 50-50 draw will also be held. Everybody is welcome. That's an Elks Country Dance Saturday, March 25th at the Elks Community Hall, 663 Douglas Street forecast from environment canada
6: a mix of sun and cloud today a high of minus three tonight partly cloudy wind up to 15k a low of minus 12 for tuesday a mix of sun and cloud with a 30 percent chance of flurries in the morning and early afternoon and a high of minus five
0: keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around prince george this is after nine on 93.1 cfis fm
1: okay we're back and we're just going to finish off this driving thing I remember when I was younger, a number of other people, like we would start driving before the legal age. We'd be out in the bush in the back road with somebody else's car driving back and forth and up and down and teaching ourselves how to drive. And the number one priority was to get your driver's license so you could drive. And uh, it was sort of a rite of passage. I'm not sure what the rite of passage is today, but James has got his finger up, so maybe he knows. Go ahead, James.
3: Well, I just got—I've got, I've got uh, some reader response, some listener response here to our uh, to our show, and, and I've I've got uh, one person here saying that um, I think it's awesome that kids don't want their driver's licenses, and I think the rationale there is, um, you know, maybe there's alternative modes of getting around town. Maybe maybe we should be encouraging uh, cycling, uh, maybe transit users using transit, uh, walking. And i think this goes back to to the other point they made about um you know how we're developing our cities and stuff i th- i think honestly I, I i think it would be great if we had communities that were more walkable that were closer together you know this concept of the 15 minute city that that the uh, you hear all about how how it's some big conspiracy well let's not forget like we all had 15 minute cities um 60 70 100 years ago and that that's that's how And what a 15-minute city is, is where you've got everything that's conveniently located within 15 minutes of your house. So you could theoretically go to work, uh, buy your tomatoes, uh, do all your recreational stuff a short distance from your house. Those are the communities we've had, right? And we got rid of that, and everything's locked into basically being dependent on automobiles. And in a way, our freedom's being affected by that, right? We don't have the freedom to use alternative modes of transportation anymore, if you want to ride your bike around, you're, it's very risky. It's very dangerous because everything's built for driving. So I don't know. I think I just wanted to throw that out there. I think that's a, a a thing to consider when we talk about kids not driving anymore. Maybe that's ultimately maybe that could be a good thing.
1: Well, there's two different two different scenarios. There one's a big city, totally different than uh, say Prince George or something where you know it's 40 miles across from the center, 20 miles each. So you have a minimum 20 miles to get to work for some people. And if you don't have a car and you're living, you're going to have to move to town. That's going to cost you more money. It goes on and on and on. The, the big city concept is basically real estate locates in a certain area, and then we build up around it. We create the problem by going all the way down there and working for these guys that built the job, you know, 75 miles away and forced us to go downtown instead of building it in the local town.
2: It's just bizarre when you think about it. Did you want to say something, Peter? Uh, no, just uh follow up a little bit more on this. You know, like the whole thing is like with cars, you know, the cars were invented. But then what got built up around them was a the whole car culture, you know, like and especially aimed at the youth. Right. You know, like uh, driving around town and going to drive in restaurants and all this kind of stuff. Right. But uh, it, it was a it was a created culture. And uh, as, a, as being a created culture, Uh, things are morphing in other directions now like uh james and herb have talked about some of that right you know the whole the whole question like of uh alternatives to you know like even self-driving cars and all this kind of stuff right but uh in the bigger cities uh, the then the realization that it's uh like you go to vancouver right now it's choked with cars and um you know the whole issue of having mass transit, right? In the bigger cities, you know that that, that question there. So I think that we have to keep that in mind that there is uh, there's there's cars and then there's there's a car culture around them, right? And uh, that car culture is uh, anyway being undermined or being changed in some ways in the modern day.
1: Yeah, I don't know who's uh, you know there's there's two factors there. I mean, I, I took a ride right on some of those. Whatever they call them in Vancouver, those trains that fly around there, <laughs> just to see what it was like. Because you know, before you uh, find fault with something, you should get an idea what it's like. Those things are atrocious, rocking back and forth. It's like the old BC Rail Daylighter going down to North Vancouver, and uh, <clears throat> but but the thing I noticed, if you look out the window, all these cars there. They only have one driver, and they got an HOV line, uh, which is for people with more than one passenger. Nobody's in it. It's not being utilized. And uh, and so the rich and famous can afford to drive their Maseratis or whatever and go to their jobs downtown or whatever. So it's actually two different things. They don't call it mass transit for no reason. It's for the masses. But the other people are going to drive because they like to drive and they can afford cars. And we're paying taxes to build four- and six- and eight-lane highways, especially down, as an example, San Diego or something, apparently. It's just... Just insane down there, yeah. And uh, you know, for what reason? And and they already have statistics that show the more lanes you, you drive, the more cars that you get on the, on the roads. So it's got to be a better way. But uh, well,
4: there is a better way, and it's called telecommuting. And uh, yeah. and, and people are. It, it looks like people don't want to go back to work downtown. There's all sorts of problems with all, downtowns uh, having excess office capacity uh, all over North America. Uh, p- people, you know, are quite happy working out of their houses, and uh, you know, maybe the we're we're we're, we're uh, seeing is the end of car, car culture in North America, or at least the diminishment of it.
1: Yeah, I can see people working out of their houses. I mean, you're, especially in the big cities, you're saving yourself three hours a day driving. You know, that's you know, if you monetize that, that's a huge savings. You know, by not going down there. But we'll see what happens with that. So we're going to move on now to, uh, uh, Peter's got two, uh, I got Tim Hortons on mine, a franchise in PI. What have you got, Peter? Is that what it is? Uh,
2: on, on migrant workers and more. Lawrence. Yeah, general. Peter's going
1: to get into migrant workers. I've got an example of a Tim Horton franchise in PI that evicted some tenants to make way for uh, migrant workers. And it was rather interesting. I'll get into that if we have time. Go ahead, Peter.
2: Uh, Yeah, just to give a bit of an overview to the whole issue of migrant workers, uh, under the current model of uh, globalization, there are currently 169 million people in the world who are precariously employed as uh, both migrant or or temporary foreign workers, and it's about 5% of the global workforce. You know, this vast pool of labor is very good for employers uh, and multinational corporations like Tim Hortons, uh, meatpacking industry and agribusiness, but not so good for those precariously employed workers who do not have permanent status in many countries, including Canada and the U.S., and who often face brutal, unsafe and exploitative working and living conditions, and live in a state of constant stress and insecurity and incivility. In Canada, there's an estimated 1.6 million people without permanent status, which was quite a staggering number of, of migrant workers, many of whom come from uh, Asia and Latin America and so on. These migrant workers include temporary foreign workers, workers who are refugees or undocumented, as well as foreign students who actually work. Um, in B.C., there's about 32,000 temporary foreign workers, the, bi- the biggest percentage of which are farm workers. There's about 10,000 temporary foreign workers who are farm workers. Uh, this temporary foreign workers program has been set up by the federal government uh, to provide labor w- without requirements to meet Canadian standards in sectors where poor wages and untenable working conditions means that there's few takers on the on the market. Um, this uh, under the program are tied to, workers are tied to a single employer. this means that standing up to abuse can mean dismissal, no income, or few prospects of future work. And the conditions can be quite brutal in terms of, uh, yeah, in, in terms of uh, actual conditions like farm workers living in cramped quarters, uh, sometimes without even mattresses and having to sleep on the floor and so on. Okay, so we're going to go through a break and then uh, we'll finish this one off and it should be
1: it for today.
5: The Seniors Resource Center has plenty of programs and support services for those 55-plus. An affordable lunch can be delivered through Meals on Wheels, non-medical needs can be covered through Better at Home, and the Housing and Community Navigator can help locate housing and other valuable resources. Call 250-564-5888 for more information or stop by the Prince George Council of Seniors Resource Center between 9 and 3 Monday through Friday at their new location, thirteen thirty Fifth
7: Avenue. Construction. Professionals from around Northern BC will gather at the Build the North Conference March 22nd to 23rd. Hosted by the Northern Regional Construction Association, Build the North will be tackling topics like contracts, risk management, leadership, mental health, culture, branding, technology, and creating resiliency. The conference will be held at the Coast Hotel, and registration is now open. Registration and full details are available through the Northern Regional Construction Association's website at nrca.ca. Shortly after 1 a.m. on Tuesday, February 7th, Prince George RCMP responded to a report of an armed robbery at a gas station on the 8,000 block of the Hart Highway. Arrests have been made, but investigators are looking to speak with any witnesses or to anyone who has Dash cam footage showing the suspect's vehicle, a dark-colored minivan, following the robbery. If you have any information related to this robbery, call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. This year's Canadian Institute of Forestry Master's Night will take place
5: on the afternoon of Friday, March 31st at UNBC. The Institute is looking for three NRES graduate students to make a short presentation on their current research project. Students selected to make presentation will receive a $100 honorarium. Presentation abstracts should be submitted to alan at tccsolutions.ca. Submission deadline is March 10th. Successful presenters will be notified during the week of March 20th. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station,
0: 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Okay, we're back, and Peter's just going to finish off on the uh, temporary foreign workers or transit workers.
2: Uh, yeah, Eric, yeah, no, I believe that the present situation is uh, is an unjust situation for these workers. It uh, puts them in a very vulnerable position where they're um, uh, at the mercy of uh, often unscrupulous em- em- employers and so on. And so I think, you know, one of the, the, the demands that are being put forward is that there should be full and permanent status for all migrant workers. There should not be second class workers. And they should have equal status for for healthcare as well, because some of them don't have any access to healthcare. And uh, being entitled to full status should be, a, in my opinion, um, should be a human right in terms of uh, these uh, these workers. We, we we need to eliminate the situation where you have different classes of workers and some are more vulnerable to others in terms of exploitation.
1: Well, of course, is always. The other side of the story, this one about <clears throat> a franchise in PEI, it was a Tim Hortons franchise that bought an apartment block and then evicted the people that were in there, which they could do because they were renovating the uh, building, and then they were bringing in uh, temporary foreign workers to live there. Some were getting an apartment for 400 a month, some were getting it free, depending on the circumstances. So now you have a situation where you can bring in temporary foreign workers, evict Canadian citizens out of their houses, in a, uh, where we got one of the worst housing situations ever, and nobody seems to be concerned about them, but they're going to save a few bucks by bringing in temporary workers. I think that you know maybe we have to look at the temporary worker situation, and maybe rather than bringing in so many temporary workers, maybe we should just raise the price of a hamburger. And if people don't want to buy it, then don't buy it. Make one at home. But we don't have to go through this huge process to make money, uh, and then evict somebody from their home. That's that's insane, in my opinion. James.
3: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, we've got um, the plan is to to bring in five hundred thousand more people a year, and I just don't I just don't understand where everybody's going to live. You know, and and our healthcare system is already uh, struggling. Like you can't you. It's it's a nightmare in our in our hospitals. I don't think our infrastructure's set up. Our, city, our cities can't handle it. Our communities can't handle it. Uh, I, I agree with Eric. I think um, I think we've got to start doing more manual labor as a society. I think there's there's this, this idea that uh, if you do manual labor, uh, somehow you've you haven't succeeded in life. You know, we we, we push everybody into universities to get to get degrees and management positions and then nobody wants to do the actual work so you know i, I was kind of one of those guys that w- did do a university degree and i don't know i went back to woodworking that's what i do with i work with my hands every day uh i think it's a fulfilling way to to get by in the world and i think more more of us need to start uh start doing that it's good good for your uh, it's good for your health but we got a. Uh,
1: it's kind of a double whammy because on the one hand we're being pressured to shop you know at the big the big stores and buy cheap it's always buy cheap it's amazing to me the number of people the time and effort that they spend to find the cheapest thing to go buy it and you know we say well you know some people can't afford it and i understand that but some of them are millionaires and they still do the same thing yeah so i was just going to say that uh, the um, actually i forgot what i was going to say go ahead peter
2: yeah, no. I think it's important to keep in mind, right? You know that, uh, in terms of um, you know the the food that is on our table, um, you know the a lot of it comes from farm labor. And I, in my opinion, if you're working, you know, picking fruit and uh, picking vegetables and all this, you should have full rights as as any other worker, right? Rather than being in a, a, a second class kind of position. Yeah, I agree keep, with keep in mind also that uh, you know during the height of the pandemic. It was a large number of uh, temporary foreign workers who cared for the children and the elderly in these uh, um, care homes and so on, right? And, uh, and many times they, they were in abusive situations. But anyway, they persisted and uh, p- performed um, some really um, important uh, uh, labor to the the situation that we were facing at that time. But... Um, i I just know for me the the, the question is there the shouldn't be second class workers <clears throat> like either you've got rights or you don't right and if uh, or, or, or you should, you should you should have them
1: well i agree with, I agree with that statement as far as it goes but but when it comes to evicting Canadian citizens for, out of their house so a temporary worker can take it I don't agree with that we are each going to get one minute here we'll start with herb.
4: Yeah, one other thing I've noticed is that uh the uh, now in BC I believe um, uh foreign students are now allowed to work 40 hours a week. So to me that's a little ridiculous. I mean, who who can work 40 hours a week and pursue, pursue a full-time uh academic program? Uh, not too many people. So, you know, I think we're we're really uh, becoming um, dependent on cheap labor. Uh labor that uh, is coming from overseas. Maybe it's time to just raise the minimum wage, uh, let uh, uh, let people earn a earn a living wage, and uh, forget temporary foreign workers. Uh, uh, we can do with less people in the society. We don't have to bring in five hundred thousand people a year to make things work.
3: Okay, James. Okay, I'm just gonna just going follow up here with a uh, just a quick reminder about the the uh, future of forestry. Um, in our region event that's going to be tomorrow evening at uh, six thirty p.m at the unbc at the can theater so i uh, hope hope folks can come out there we're going to have some excellent speakers uh we might uh, film the event as well we should let people know that you might uh, you might be filmed uh, if you show up and uh, there's going to be a question and answer period at the end of the at the end of the speakers and you can get some questions in there uh you know we we've got uh we're we're basically facing the forest industry is facing a crisis in northern BC. Uh, the existing model has failed us, and we've got to talk about a new model moving forward. Sounds good.
1: We've still got a few minutes left. Herb, you want You just finished, Peter. You want to
2: pop another few words in there? Uh, you know, just just to reiterate, I, I think with the, in, re, in regards to the temporary foreign worker program. You know, the important thing is, is to build unity on this whole issue. And I think uh, it's to the credit of, uh, of many of the unions and all this who uh, they're calling for the same thing, too, they, because they realize that uh, the current situation where you have uh, workers put into a second class position and all this is not good for anyone except, except unscrupulous employers and uh you know so you know the whole question like of uh uh not falling into uh you know creating divisions which divisions will only uh, benefit the the very rich
1: yeah no and i agree with that but the thing is that there's so many ramifications to it that uh you know we can get into it again another day so i want to thank everybody that was listening today thank the panel and uh come back next Monday and we'll do it again with different subjects thank you
0: After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart Eric Allen Kylie Lewis-Holt Trudy Clausen and Rez Krebs Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith Theme music is by The Ebb's For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca.
5: You're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFISFM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.